We're going to look first at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to read from verse 5. So we are going through the chronological life of Jesus. We have actually been in the chronological life of Jesus for four and a half years. We've covered all four Gospels, and uh, we're just wrapping it up now. So Jesus has been crucified, and He's just being resurrected. And so we're going to wrap this up, and then we'll we'll choose another book in the Bible and go through that. But um, let's read from Matthew 28, verse 5. Then the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for He is risen, just as He said. Come and see the place where He was lying. Go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead, and behold, He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see Him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to His disciples. Last week we talked about, we went step by step through each phase of the different occurrences of the resurrection account. The rolling away of the stone. And we just mapped it out and we went through very specifically last week in the course of events, the things that happened week, uh, uh, hour by hour, uh, moment by moment during the resurrection time, during the, f- the finding of the open tomb and the resurrection time. If ever you miss a message, those are all up on my website. So if you just Google Jim Tour, uh, uh, it'll come up. And, and then on the website, under Personal Topics Audio Files, you can find it on the Chronological Life of Jesus. But here we want to focus a little bit different something different. We don't want to specifically go through the chronology of it. But what we're looking at is some of the things that were said. So the angel says to these women who came out to the tomb, he says, he says, uh, he is not here in verse 6, for he has risen just as he said. He has risen just as he said. He specifically told them numerous times that he would rise from the dead. Specifically, he told them that. And just as he had told them, it came to pass. Just as he had told them. In fact, in Luke chapter 24, the angel reminds them exactly what they had said. And Luke then records what the angel said more specifically. In Luke chapter 24, verse 6, he says, He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying to the Son saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And they remembered His words. Just as He had spoken, it happened. Just as He had spoken, it occurred. What Jesus has said came to pass. This would do us well. We would do well to remember this. The things that the Scripture has testified will come to pass, either that either they've already come to pass or they will come to pass. There is no doubt about it. It will happen. The reason that they showed up to the tomb was to anoint His body, further anoint His body, because they did not get it when He told them multiple times, at least three times very specifically, about His rising from the dead on the third day. He told them multiple times. And still, they, they uh, uh, persisted in not getting it. And this is just like us. The Scriptures can speak something, 
and we just don't get it. We think, well, that's for another generation, that's not for me, that's for somebody else, or that's just a lot of fine little niceties and, and literature. It is not. It is truth. It is things that are going to come to pass. Either they already have come to pass, or they are going to come to pass. The promises that He makes in, 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 our, in our lives. For example, in John chapter 15, verse 9, it says, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Jesus said this. He says, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. Did you know that you can have joy in your life made complete? In the midst of persecution, in the midst of pain, in the midst of the things that happen upon everybody in life, you can have joy in life. Jesus said, you can. He said, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. So if ever we question, does God love me? Jesus said, just as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. That's what he said. He said, now abide in my love. Where I am, abide in my love. But abiding is a somewhat ethereal sort of concept. What does it really mean to abide? Jesus then puts it very practically in John chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. He says, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you take this word, this word of Scripture, and we place it into our lives, things will go well. He said, we will abide in His love. That means we have the opportunity to step out of His love because He never forces His love upon us. What we see around the world is world religions trying to force their way into people's lives. And Jesus never did that. He gives us a choice. And He says, choose to abide in My love and things will go well for you. If you, abide, you will abide in My love. How? If you keep My commandments. In John chapter 15, verse 9, 10, and 11. If you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love, just as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. Do you want to spare yourself sorrow and pain? I have never known anybody who wakes up in the morning and says, I just hope I have a terrible day and I, and I get in all sorts of trouble and all sorts of pain. Nobody does that. Jesus said, I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. This is what he spoke about. In the midst of his suffering, there was a joy that he wants to leave us with. This is what he says. He said, he has risen just as he said. Exactly how he said it, it has happened. This is what he told them to do. And then the angel again then says, go to Galilee. Remember he told them to go to Galilee? He said at the Lord's Supper, when I get arrested, meet me in Galilee. They never went. Now the angel is saying, get up to Galilee. They never go. They're going to be told a third time, go to Galilee. The third time, they're not going to go. And then they're going to be hanging out there and then finally Jesus is going to appear to all of them. So, so Jesus just, just backed off that thing. Maybe, you know, you never know what they left on the table. I mean, they had great things there for them in Galilee. It was much later that they, they ended up going. Uh, about a week and a half later that they ended up going. 
Nonetheless, what we see is that exactly what he said came to pass. Now, let's read in John chapter 20. John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, it says, in verse 1, Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. That's John chapter 20, verse 1. So Mary went while it was still dark. The other women arrived while it was just getting light, but Mary arrived there first. She arrived there first. Mary was the first to, to, to make it to the tomb. And then it says in verse 2, So she ran, and she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid Him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and as they were going to the tomb, the two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came, following him, and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in itself by its place. It rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciples who had first come to the tomb, they, when they also entered and they saw, and so the other disciple who had first come to the tomb also entered and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. So what we see here is that that Mary comes, it's still dark, she sees the stone rolled away. She goes back, she tells Peter and John, we don't know exactly where they were staying, but they come running to the tomb now. And, and they're running together, but John gets there first, and he's looking in, and Peter being the, you know, the, the gregarious guy that he is, he just bolts right on into the tomb and he looks around. And what they see is they see the linen wrappings. These were wrappings going around. Typical way of, of wrapping a dead body. So whatever the Shroud of Turin is, it's not the wrappings that were around Jesus. Interesting sort of apparel, but it's not what Jesus... Jesus was wearing these linen wrappings. And there was another piece that was around his head. And it says that the headpiece was still rolled up. So Jesus didn't unwrap this thing. He just came right through it. It was still rolled up in a, in, a, in a place by itself. That's what it says. And so when they came into the tomb, they still didn't get it. They still did not understand the Scriptures that He must rise again from the dead. It still wasn't connecting with them. So the disciples went away to their own homes. And so let's, let's pick it up in, uh, in, in John chapter 20, verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so... As, and so, as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she said this, she turned around, she saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. 
She turned and she said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father, my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So, remember, Peter and John just left. Now, Mary looks into the tomb and she sees two angels in there. John and Peter never saw them. They they were blinded to seeing them. She sees the angels. She doesn't know who they are. And then Jesus appears behind her and she thinks that he's a gardener. I mean, she says, who am you seeking? And she thought he was the gardener. I mean, imagine how Jesus feels. He rose from the dead and she thinks I'm the gardener. Finally, she realizes that this is Jesus standing there. He appeared first to Mary. If you, if you, if you look in, uh, in the Gospel according to, to Mark, the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, it talks about this in verse 9. It says, Now after He had risen early on the first day of the week, He first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom He had cast out seven demons. There's only one other reference to Mary Magdalene prior to this resurrection account where she's mentioned many times. In fact, her name is mentioned more than most of the apostles if you count the number in, in, in the Gospels. But it's all around this, this resurrection account which is talked about in all four Gospels. It's only in Luke chapter 8 it talks about women who would follow Jesus, Galilean women who would follow Jesus' ministry and, and they would contribute to his ministry out of their private means. Among them were some rich women it talks about and it names them and it says the, the wife of Chusa's steward. So in other words, people who, were, who, who ministered to, to royalty. And so there were many women that followed Jesus as well that it talks about. And in fact, it says they did much of the work around the ministry. They were serving. They were there serving. And it mentions Mary Magdalene and it mentions that he had delivered her from demons. That is the first mention of it in Luke chapter 8 and never mentions her again. But she was part of this group of Galilean women. This Magdalene means from, Mag, uh, 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 from Magdala. Magdala is a city on the western uh, coast of the Sea of Galilee, not far from where Jesus grew up and not far from, from where he pre- predominantly ministered. So this, this was uh, Mary from Magdala, Magdala, or Mary Magdalene, meaning the woman, Mary the woman from Magdala, or Mary Magdalene. Just like we say, if you're from Houston, you're a Houstonian. This is the way that they would say it, Mary Magdalene. But here in Mark it says, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom He had cast out seven demons. Well, why, Mark, are you reminding us of her past? Okay, so, so that was a long time ago. That was several years ago that Jesus had cast se- se- seven demons out of her. Why do you have to remind us? Is it there just to embarrass her to talk about her past? Or might it be something different? And what we will see is the way Jesus ministered is He always went 
to those whom society marginalized. That's whom he goes to. Of all people, he goes to a woman who had no legal standing. Her testimony as to his being risen from the dead meant nothing legally in Israel or in Rome. You say, well, that's not fair. Yes, it's not fair, but that's the way it was. But Jesus appeared first to her. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. Now, again, these were people that did not get it that he was going to rise from the dead. There was a Mary that never showed up at the tomb. And that's Mary, the one who used to sit as a disciple at his feet, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. She never showed up to the tomb. She was the one who got it. She was the one who who understood that he was going to rise from the dead. And that's why Jesus spoke of her. That she gets it. She's been sitting at my feet and learning. But here, Mary Mary Magdalene is the one he appears to first. This is the one he chose. This is the one who was marginalized. And remember, all of this, there was another group of women who came up just as as it was becoming light. Mary Magdalene got there while it was still dark. The other women got there later and he appeared second to this other group of women to another group of women. But this is what he did. He reached out first to Mary, a woman from whom seven demons had been cast out. Now, it is church tradition that this is also the woman that that, uh, uh, was a prostitute who was wiping his feet with her hair and and, and her tears. But there is no biblical evidence for that. We don't know that she was a prostitute. But we do know she had seven demons. Now, You may say, well, I don't believe in demons. Well, that's fine. Why don't you just tear those pages out of your Bible? Every page you don't believe, just tear it out. Because, you know, you are the author of what's believable and what's not, right? Jesus spoke of these things. Jesus spoke of these things. She had seven demons. And one day, you will meet a person who has a demon. And then you will no longer wonder about this. I remember when I was around your age, not much older than you, I was newly married and we were driving down the road. We were driving down the highway and we were driving from Indiana to New York. And we were on the highway and the highway compressed down to one lane because of construction. And there was a sign there that said 45 miles an hour because of the construction. So guess how fast I was driving? I was driving 45 miles an hour. I was duly following it. And then I was, as I was driving, just this thought came into my mind. If, if there's these demon-possessed people, how come I never see them? And I just started judging all this in my own mind. And as I'm driving with my wife next to me, there's a truck, an 18-wheeler that comes up, I mean, like a nanometer behind my car as we're driving. And this guy was started blowing his horn. You know how loud those truck horns are? And he's shaking his fist and he's blowing his horn. I am going exactly what it says that I'm supposed to go, but the poor guy couldn't get around me because it was down to one lane. And here I was wondering, where are all these demon-possessed people? (laughs) And then it's like this guy is just violent in this rage behind me. And so so, uh, uh, you keep thinking this and you will see them. And I have seen them. Now, you will never see as much as you see in the New Testament. 
and you, as much as you see in the Gospels, and you never see beyond the Gospels as much as what you see in the Gospels. Because in Revelation chapter 12, it says that when the Son came, the devil was cast down onto earth. And that's why we see so much demonic activity in the Gospels. Once you get into the book of Acts, you see much less. It's, it's an appearance of, of a demon-possessed person every several years, like five, seven, ten years between what's documented over that long period in the book of Acts, the number of, of demonic things. So it's not like you're every day going to see somebody who has a demon. You're not going to see that. But I have seen it. And he says, he cast out from her seven demons. And people who are demon-possessed are never pleasant people. They're never happy. They're never pleasant. They usually rage and they usually curse a lot. And they're angry. And I remember one day I was, I was in a, a, a restaurant not, in, in, a, in a, the, the supermarket not far from here. And I was sitting down. They, they have these, these coffee shop in the front. And I was sitting there. And this was about... 10 or 12 years ago, and I was sitting there reading my Bible, and it wasn't electronic in that time, it was a regular Bible, and as I'm reading, I see a guy come in, and he's just cursing, just loudly cursing, and he's walking toward the back saying, I want bluebell ice cream, and boom, boom, just all these curses, and I'm thinking, if he wants bluebell ice cream, just go get some bluebell ice cream, and be fine. And then, then a few minutes later, I see him come marching back, and he's got a tub of bluebell ice cream open and he's eating it. And he's cursing, walking along as he's eating it. And I looked at him and I thought, this guy is certainly demon-possessed because I had already done 10 years of prison ministry in a maximum security prison and I had seen my fill of them. And I saw him walking toward me and as he was walking, uh, I was ready to just, you know, if, you, if something was going to arise, I was going to do business with it. And he came walking toward me. He looked up and he saw me. And he said, well, if it isn't one of the, the sons of the Hebrews. Now, I am Jewish. I grew up in a Jewish home. But it doesn't say Jewish on my forehead. <laughs> and he, he, he immediately recognized me. And it didn't scare him a bit that I was a son of the Hebrew. And then, so I, then I sat up and I thought, okay, that's it. You want to be cast out? It's going to happen now. And he, then he looked at me, he stopped dead in his tracks, and he said, G-U-L-P, gulp, boom, turned around and ran out. And I never saw him again. I have seen these sort of things, and this is what it's talking about. If you haven't seen them, keep thinking about this and doubting it. You will see it one day. He cast out of her seven demons. This is what he cast out. This is what he did. Why would he go to her? Because she was the one who wasn't even with the normal group of women. You say, no, this is you know, the beginnings of the church. Everybody's friendly. You talk to a woman in the church who her, who her husband has left her. Talk to her. If she feels as secure as she did before. You talk to a woman who is new in a church and not part of the little clique that forms around women in churches. And isn't quite of their group or of their society or of their social status. Ask her, how do you feel among this group? She's just come into this group. Here is Mary Magdalene. She's coming up all alone. The rest of the women are all coming up together. She is this outcast from the group because people remember the past. You talk to a woman who came from a very sordid past, who comes into the church. 
she doesn't immediately feel all knit in. Everybody else has got a husband. Everybody else has got kids. And she doesn't. That's the one that Jesus goes out to. That's the one that he keys in on. That's where he looks at. The same sort of thing happens if you look in, in uh, 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 just before this event in, in, uh, in Mark, in Mark chapter 16, verse 2 through 8. Let's look, look up verse 2 through 8. We'll, we'll let's, let's look down at verse 6. Mark chapter 16, verse 6. This is the angel speaking. He says, And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they have laid him. Now here's what the angel says. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling. Uh, uh, uh. They fled from the tomb with trembling and astonishment which had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. So this is this other group of women that, that uh, uh, when they saw the angel... This is what the angel says, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Well, isn't that redundant? Go tell his disciples and Peter. Uh, I thought Peter was one of the disciples. Peter had just denied the Lord on Friday night. Friday early morning. So, so Friday early morning while it was still dark, just, just before the trial. So this was what we would call Thursday night, that was their Friday morning because their time begins at 6 p.m., sundown. So Jesus had just denied the Lord three times and he went away weeping. The angel says, go tell his disciples and Peter. What does this mean? It means that Peter didn't feel much like a disciple anymore. He had just denied the Lord three times. And just the day before that, the day before his denial... He had told the Lord, no matter what happens, I am ready to die for you. Jesus said, oh really? Before the cock crows tonight, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no, no, come on. I'd be willing to die for you. In that boldness, Peter then denies the Lord. Peter is not feeling like a disciple anymore. And what does Jesus do? He tells the angel, go say, call the disciples and Peter. Jesus comes again to the one who feels marginalized, to the one who feels uh, 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 this, this, this sorrow, this low self-esteem. This will speak volumes to the one who suffers with low self-esteem because I have been there. Jesus reaches out particularly to those who feel that they cannot do it, who feel that they're not a part, who feel that God doesn't love me. Jesus reaches out to them specifically. You see the way Jesus does it. You see what he does. He reaches out to this woman from whom seven demons came out. The one who was marginalized. He reaches out to her specifically. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to close with this portion, which is an amazing portion. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start reading from verse 26. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. 
But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not, that He might nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God, but by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So what he says in verse 26, for consider your calling brethren. This means Paul is speaking to Christians. Brethren. He is speaking not to unbelievers, but to believers. Consider your calling brethren. That there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. If you think that you are a believer because somehow you're wise and mighty and noble, it's just the opposite. He reaches out to those that are the base things of the world and the despised. He chooses the things that are not that he might nullify the things that are. And that's what gives me hope. That's why it talks about in Hebrews 11, it talks about the men of faith. And many of them were not many mighty men in and of themselves. For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness they were made strong, and they became mighty in, in battle. This is what it says. It gives a list of people. Many of them failures. You say, well, David is among that list. Well, good for David. He was a rapist and he was a murderer to cover up his rape. People who have blown it. And if you think you've got the world by the tail, let me assure you, there will come a time in your life when you no longer think you have the world by the tail. You will so blow it, and your mouth will blow it for you before anything else. And then you will see like Peter, the gregarious Peter, that you need to be reassured by Jesus that you are a disciple. And that's in the time when Jesus comes and he ministers most to us. In the time of our failure, in the time of our despair, in the time of our low self-esteem, in the time when we think we can't make it, in the time when we think that everybody around us is smarter than me. And it causes us to cry out to God. Because this is what it says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. In weakness, He chooses us. This is the blessed hope. What other world religious leader does this? They don't do this. They rise from the dead if they could and go sit with the kings and say, See, you want a piece of me? I'm here. But what does He do? He goes to the one marginalized and He ministers to them. You've been abused You've been sexually abused. You've been hurt. Boom! Jesus is right there, showering His love upon us and reassuring us of our self-worth. That's what He does over and over again. And just remember, in your life, when you blow it, when you say something that has totally embarrassed you among your community, or when you do something that you never thought you would do because the human heart is desperately sick above all else. Who can understand it? That's what the Scriptures say in Jeremiah chapter 9. The, 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 
Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The human heart is desperately sick and more wicked than all else who can understand it. Our own hearts testify to us that this is true. That in an instant I can go from worshiping God in a worship service and then somebody honks their horn at me and just this rage just rises up. That's what our hearts are like. Your heart will disappoint you many times in life. But just remember, in those times, more so, Jesus comes and ministers to you. Because He always comes and ministers to the marginalized in society. That's the Lord that we have. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for the truth of it. And Lord, I pray for these young people in the name of Jesus, that You just cover them by the blood of Jesus and draw them close to You. Father, for those who are new here in school, Lord, I pray that You would encourage them. If they're just finding their way, Lord, protect them. Lord, build for them the right relationships. Father, that You would put them in good Christian groups and in good Christian uh, uh, groups of people that would strengthen them and build them up. Father, protect them. Lord, I pray Your grace around them. Lord, I pray for these students that they take hold of You and want to know You more. Take hold of Your Word and obey it so that they could abide in Your love by obedience to Your Word. Father, give them a regular reading pattern in Your Word, I pray. Draw them to Yourself. Lord, for those here that don't know You, Lord, I pray that You would come and minister to them life that in their securities, you would be their security and hope. Minister to them. Father, thank you for your mercies. Touch these young people and draw them close to you. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.